Welcome, learners and learn-it alike, to help teach. Hello and welcome to our community audio project. I am your host, editor, producer, and project co-lead, Mihai Kovasser. I'm also a youth living with a physical disability. My most formative experiences living with a disability have come in the Canadian public education system. Many students like me with physical, emotional, or mental challenges go through their years of schooling lacking the supports and accommodations they need to partake of the same opportunities offered to their peers. The vision of this project is to provide educators in Canadian classrooms, students with disabilities, and members of the general public with the tools and knowledge that they need to make our institutions more accessible and inclusive for all. Join me and a diverse cast of guests as we explore perspectives on disabilities in education in this podcast series. One last message for you teachers tuning in. Listen in each episode for our key takeaway that you can implement in your classroom today to help us further this vision. Welcome back to Help Teach. Today, I have the pleasure and honor to be speaking with a member of the musical community worldwide, and especially here in Canada, and a member of the disability community as well, who has dedicated a lot of time to music education and inclusion. And I'm really excited for the conversation we're about to have today. Before we get into all of that, without further ado, I want to introduce to the show today, Adrian Anantawan. Adrian, thank you so much for coming and joining the show. It's a pleasure to be here. As I start all of my interviews, I'll throw it to you here to just introduce yourself to our audience, a little bit about who you are, what you do, and then we'll get into our uh, our discussion for today. So I am a musician, specifically a violinist. I identify with having a visible disability. I was born without my right hand and use an adaptation to be able to hold my bow. And I've been fortunate enough to be able to have a career in performance and also now education and some of my passions really include figuring out ways that we can use classical music as a platform for accessibility, sharing unique stories, and really finding ways that we can share our individual um, identities with the rest of the world. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well said. Of course, I have to flaunt you a little bit i know that uh, i not everyone likes to toot their own horn but of course uh for for our audience members that maybe aren't familiar adrian is i mean renowned musician award-winning performer um has performed at the white house and with the toronto symphony and your activism work uh and your musical career are pretty much hand in hand here just some notable items include national broadcasts for the cbc for the glenn gould studio of course i mentioned the white house appearance and you have been inducted into the terry fox hall of fame as well so all of these things to say that your reputation precedes you and i really appreciate you setting aside the time to come and talk to me today absolutely and i think that it's a real privilege to be able to share my perspective from the other side of 
growing up with a disability and forming a career and sort of working as an advocate mm. like yourself. And, and I must say that I am so amazed and, and proud of all the work that you've done already in uh, those roles and, and also how you're growing and evolving as you deepen those roles, uh, not only where you are in your community, but on a national scale. Thank you. I, I really appreciate those words. So what led you down the path of music? I should also mention, you know, for our audience before we start here, this is not something I've talked about a lot on the show, but our connection is that I am also a musician. I have performed in uh, the local youth symphony in my in my hometown here in Kelowna. I have been a classical and jazz musician for about 14 years. And of course, that has, has presented its own unique, uh, interesting journey alongside, of course, being a member of the disability community. But I'm curious, what has led you down the path of music and how did you get here? So like a lot of young people growing up in... Canada, I started off with being exposed to music, formally at least, uh, with my elementary school classes. Mm -hmm. And I remember in about fifth grade or so, our music teacher all wanted us to play an instrument as part of the curriculum. Mm -hmm. And that instrument ended up being the recorder, <laughs> which... Was something that staple. Yes, exactly. It, I think it's uh, it can be a very compelling instrument. Yeah. In its own way, I think that the teacher obviously thought it was accessible because it was something that fit within a school budget. You can mass produce these, and they're relatively sanitary. <laughs> you could probably put it in like your laundry and <laughs> and have it survive. And for me, that was not necessarily a very accessible instrument because I didn't have enough fingers to play all the notes. So I was very lucky that my parents were my first advocates from birth onwards, but I think this was just another part of that accessibility advocacy that they took on and they started helping me try a lot of different types of musical instruments. Uh, the first was the trumpet, because it was something that was relatively easy to hold with one hand. Hmm. Uh, probably practical in its own right, but not necessarily aligned to my personality, I felt. And <laughs> not something Definitely. I thought it was a little loud. As, as a trumpet player, I can I, I don't take offense to that, and I definitely agree. It takes a certain personality to play the trumpet. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And lovely personalities, too, I guess. It just wasn't me. So I tried that, and then I uh, tried a little bit of singing, but again, I didn't really identify with the sound. So I was watching Sesame Street, of all things, and a man named Ishak Perlman who has polio came up on stage and he was struggling to get up with his braces. Mm. Uh, he puts those braces down and he picks up the violin and plays beautifully. And that really spoke to me, not only because of seeing that representation of someone with a visible disability 
on stage, but it was also a beautiful instrument. So mm. I asked my parents if I could try it. My dad had been an amateur violinist when he was young. And it just seemed like, okay, well, we'll just sort of see what happens one step at a time. Mm-hmm. So I ended up getting a small violin and looking for a teacher. And one of them was very kind to ignore that I couldn't hold the bow for the first few months while I had an adaptation made. And we proceeded to just pluck the instrument like a guitar almost. I mean, sometimes I use my small hand or sometimes I do a technique called left hand pizzicato where I would use my fingers on the fingerboard of my left hand to play more of the notes. Eventually, I went to a pediatric rehabilitation hospital in Toronto called Holland Bloorview. And I had a brace made for me that allowed me to hold the bow. And I haven't looked back ever since. I had the pleasure of seeing your concert and meeting you when you came to Kelowna to play with our uh, Okanagan Symphony Orchestra. And it just goes to show, right? I mean, time after time, it's really nice to see that you just get the right inroad and potential really is limitless. It's incredible to hear you play and to and to see the passion that you put into into performing with that instrument that all it took was some, I mean, not to say that it was easy, but all it took was the, the chance to get that adaptation made, right? Mm. I'm curious how you started playing the trumpet. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, so I started in middle school band with the trumpets. I'd played piano for a long time, but then in band, concert band, you know, there's not really, it's not usual to have a piano in there. And so we each got our instruments and uh, I wanted to play the alto sax, actually, like most <laughs> A lot of my friends and my teacher looked at me. She actually she actually grabbed me by the face and like turned my face side to side. She's like, you have the teeth of a trumpet player and then handed <laughs> me a trumpet and said, go ahead. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and like you said, I, I haven't looked back since. I mean, I love the instrument. Piano never really presented much of a difficulty except in the use of the pedals, which I sort of did what I could over time. And I practiced that. Luckily for me, you know, my condition is mild enough that it didn't really affect that. But definitely there there is some some adaptation and stuff that I had to do in that regard. But trumpet, like you say, was pretty accessible. I mean, you just needed uh, just needed to put it up to my face and, and use the one hand, right? If I Yes. But... And you need the right teeth, obviously. <laughs> exactly. And I had the right teeth. So uh, but yeah, started with concert band and haven't looked back either. So, you know, to that, I think it's important to sort of frame this uh, as we get into the second half of our discussion here. But I want to ask you, what do you see as the greatest advantage that students can get with practicing and learning the arts, be it music or any other art? And why are you so passionate about making sure people have access to that? What has music done for you over the course of your life? I mean, obviously, aside from the career you've managed to build out of that. So I think that for me, music was a way for me to express my own individuality and to be able to be seen or known in a different way outside of the initial impact I might have upon someone if they saw me missing an arm. Mm -hmm. I think that for me, it was wonderful as a musician in particular 
to be known in that way of how I sounded versus how I looked. Mm. Because visual disabilities, it's very much something that you see first. Mm -hmm. uh, and music has a way of being able to cut through a lot of that. And I was very lucky that that was combined with early successes. Like I could play music relatively easily and some of the basic techniques I was able to move along very quickly. So I think combination of all that and having a sense of agency over my development was fortunate. Mm -hmm. I think that the arts in general uh, are ways for us to explore our uniqueness in a way that sometimes typical education settings uh, tend to shy away from, mm. at least at sort of the primary elementary level, this idea of like standards or mm. normalization of you need to know these basic things. It's harder, but not impossible in other disciplines to really share your personality or your feelings. I mean, they say technically one in every or people in the world has a disability. And when you think about it, I mean, everyone will acquire disability, either temporary or eventually permanently as they age. Mm -hmm. The irony, of course, being that the arts are really a flexible mode of being able to express our ability. Mm -hmm. And I think for young people in particular, that is something that gives us a stronger purchase upon our lives in general. But also, I think even if you don't pursue it as a career, it's something that will always stay with you in mm -hmm. a positive way. Absolutely. That's really well said. And I think it touches on a number of those themes that we focus on a lot in activism right agency of personal development the capability to demonstrate uh, as as i often use as my motto you know show people first what you can do rather than what you can't do and um that uniqueness and that individuality and the fact that as you say regardless of what you do with it it sticks with you once you learn that skill i think it opens doors for you you mentioned traditional education and maybe arts education, how they might differ. So that takes us very well into our second half here, where we'll get into the three components of access that you talked to me about a little bit earlier and how that has to do with music. So audience members, we'll get into that discussion in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Help Teach, where today I have the pleasure of talking to Adrian and Antoine, talking about musical education, and we're just going to get into a bit of a discussion about what you think are the three essential components to education and how music can sort of help to maybe cross some of the boundaries that might come up when those essential aspects are not met or, or accommodated. So you mentioned space tools and attitudes to me as as the things that you think are really important to education. So I want to get into that a little bit. Would you tell us maybe starting a little bit with 
your journey in education, like how you became an educator and a music educator, and then getting into these aspects and, and why you think they're important? So I always wanted to not only do work within the arts, but I had a passion for working with young learners and figuring out ways that I could be an agent of yeah, their learning journey and combine that with advocacy work. Uh, you were just mentioning the word activism. Sometimes it's a slow burn and working with the younger generation is really where you can start shifting uh, things around that align to your values or are getting towards solutions of inequities, whether they be on the surface or even embedded systematically within whatever our culture might be, to be able to uh, just make an impact. Uh, so as I continue to perform in my young career, I decided that I wanted to go into the classroom and some of my first projects involved using technology that was used for music therapy in particular mm. uh, to be able to help kids who might have had more limitations in terms of their motor function than me. Uh, these are kids with um, spinal muscular atrophy. These are kids who might have very limited motions uh, in their bodies uh, due to you know higher degree of effect of cerebral palsy, for instance. Mm -hmm. And I went back to school after finishing my undergrad and master's in music to study uh, education more formally. Ended up in Boston and went to school there. And again, it was just the right fit. Uh, in terms of like my personality, my passions and interests. And then I started working in the field. I uh, worked at um, after school program as a violin teacher, then directed that program a few years later to a point where I have started a, a program in Boston called the Music Inclusion Program, amongst all the other things that I do. And <laughs> it's a uh, program where uh, we have kids with disabilities and their typical peers play music after school. And we're in our third year with the caveat being that a couple of those had to go remote because of challenges due to COVID. Sure. Uh, and it's been a wonderful experience just trying to figure out this type of inclusive education. Um, mm -hmm. So for instance, you were just talking about tools. I think that there are two ways that folks can find accessibility into just an instrument. Mm -hmm. uh, if you have a disability, number one is modifying the instrument like I did with the violin, a brace or some type of prosthetic and that's useful or you create a new instrument entirely, like a virtual music instrument or use technology in some way to adapt to the user. Having a tool like that is useful, but without the right spaces that we share, things can get relatively inaccessible very quickly. If you have mm. uh, challenges walking 
onto a stage like Perlman did, for instance, and you can't get up the stairs, or if you have like sensory uh, challenges or sensitivities like the autism yeah. spectrum and uh, your space is not structured in a way that is conducive towards your learning, mm-hmm. um, that can be inaccessible. So even if you have the right tool in your hands or limbs or whatever it might be, uh, that can be a challenge. And I think all of those space and tools challenges really blend into mindset, attitudes, mm-hmm. knowledge of the people who are in the room. So I think that, first of all, yes, there's that basic foundational belief that you focus on what you can do, as you were just saying, versus what you can't do. Uh, You have this idea of maximizing someone's strengths Mm -hmm. and minimizing the challenges that they have to navigate within space or access the tool. And a lot of that is related to good instruction and pedagogy. Yeah, uh, sure. As you know, there are teachers who can weave magic within a, the same space and the same tools just simply by how they communicate with their students, how they structure or pace their classes. And it's a real art form, just yeah. like anything else. So, yes. Yeah, it's a nice way to think about it, that teaching in general uh, and and teaching in the arts is an art in and of itself and i and i really appreciate how you sort of weave these three things together because i think audience members especially the audience members that i hope are listening like uh teachers can see the parallels i hope between this particular example you're giving of music and the classroom as a concept or the or the the more general classroom where you might teach anything else where Obviously, first is getting access to the space itself, which is a lot of what I focus on in my advocacy in particular, just because that's the aspect that has challenged me most. But then once you're there, do you have the tools to participate? And are the attitudes around you going to be conducive to your growth as opposed to holding you back, right? And that does take me really nicely into one of the last things I want to ask you here. I have a little quote here of yours from when we first talked about sharing your life's journey as a story or have it be a story for you, not a deficit. So I I was wondering if maybe you could expand a little bit upon that and how you see basically integrating social justice or let's say accessibility and inclusion initiatives into music education and education so that students can have a story to share and, and, a, and a growth, a personal growth journey rather than see themselves and their life situation as a deficit. Sure. I think that there are definitely universal challenges that we all experience through the journey of our life. And I think that one way to make meaning of that is through sharing those challenges and and finding vulnerability as much as strength in how we let in our communities to be able to help or for us to be able to know where our strengths align to areas of giving that we can feel intentional in this reciprocity of, of relationships that uh, weave in and out of our lives. I think that 
the arts as a platform for social justice in particular is one of those ways to leverage stories at least or especially in sharing our challenges uh, with others to be able to make shifts or changes uh, within systems or attitudes in particular we're working on the attitudes part mm -hmm. in a way that can be a lot more accessible to other people or at least amplify those challenges in a way that feel like they can garner empathy mm -hmm. i can speak uh, like a lot of folks about my experiences as some of the disability or uh, can challenge where things feel not fair or equal in some way and that's lovely but to be able to do that and to amplify that story in some way through the arts and through music is a way for us to really show our humanity to others so that they can see themselves in us mm -hmm. and and make motions towards meaningful positive change mm. so I'm grateful that I have that particular medium to work within. And the interesting thing about this type of work is that hopefully I am empowering others to be able to do the same, mm. uh, especially in arts education. So we have a younger generation of folks with disabilities uh, who have this particular tool to be able to express themselves on top of other ways for them to be able to advocate for themselves too. Mm -hmm. And it's been a real journey in that sense for me to be able to make that into a life mission and to continue doing that for the rest of my career and beyond. Yeah, absolutely. I think that takes us very nicely into our key takeaway for the episode and actually it reminds me this this discussion of empathy uh reminds me of a quote that i really like i believe it was um a baba ramdas quote and it's uh only that in you which is me can truly hear what i'm saying and i think it's a really interesting way to frame like that that's what music really is right it's another language and i think it's a language that touches people more deeply sometimes than than words can and you know people can interpret words in many different ways but i think a lot of us share a feeling around music that can communicate things that words sometimes can't and i think that's what i really love about it and that's why i've loved performing and and playing music with people is it it really is an even playing field in a lot of ways if you have the tools to to participate and not only that, but once you're in that even playing field, you express yourself and others express themselves as as they wish and in a way that can touch each other a lot more deeply. So, yeah, I really appreciate what you were saying about that. And like I said, that takes us really neatly into our key takeaway for the episode, which quite simply for educators is to consider those three components in particular to access that we were talking about space, tools and attitudes and how each of those is framed in your classroom and how it may or may not allow students to participate and to sort of tag it onto that in a more concrete fashion consider arts and exposure to the arts as a tool or a pathway you can offer your students 
in order for them to have the chance to express themselves and to and to make this holistic education experience that we've been talking about. If you have students in the classroom that are perhaps struggling to find ways to to express themselves and to participate with their peers, consider the arts and consider music. And even if that's not your wheelhouse, offering that as an option, I think, for students and their families could be a really interesting way to put people on a path to to making their way in, in education and in their lives as a whole. Well, with that, I think that just about wraps up our time. But I really appreciate you coming on to speak with me, Adrian. It was a pleasure to hear you talk about this. And I look forward to continuing to, to speak with you and seeing the work that you do in the future. Thank you so much. You've just heard another episode of the Community Audio Project, Help Teach. I'd love to give a huge thank you to my other co-leads on this project, Peyton Given, Maggie Manning, Elise Doucette, and Alexis Holmgren, all youth leaders at the Rick Hansen Foundation, who I'd also like to thank for their continued support in this initiative and others. I'd like to give a huge shout out to our community mentor for this project, Charles Kutsia. My name is Mihai Kavasser. I am your host, editor, and producer for this podcast series. You can now find all our transcripts, episode notes, and links to other resources on helpteach.transistor.fm or listen to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions about the show, if you'd like to offer suggestions or you would like to be connected as a guest, you can now get in touch at helpteachpodcast at gmail.com. That's helpteachpodcast at gmail.com. Please send in any questions that you might have regarding our episodes, and we would love to address them in future ones. Tune in next time for more great conversations and key takeaways that you educators can implement in the classroom today to make it a more accessible and inclusive place for all. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.